because we we have the space and, and we have the resources to do something, is it in the best interest, number one, for our students and our families? Uh, we want to make sure that they're protected. We want to make sure our safety for our teachers, for, for our families, that's, that's priority. Juan Corona, welcome back to In This Together, episode four from Maywood District 89. Um, we haven't spoken since September. It seems like it's been a while. It has been. Yeah, I get like, I, I, I sort of missed talking to all of you. And I looked at the calendar. I'm like, where, where did the time go? But we were just talking offline. And my perception is that people are just really busy behind the scenes. Maybe kind of the, the glow of back to school has faded. People are kind of retreating to their classrooms and doing what they need to do or virtual classrooms. And we were talking about how where we are in our climates, it's getting cold. The hibernation season is upon us. Um, so I'm excited to chat with you again. Just a quick update. What's what's going on um, on the ground in terms of, you know, coronavirus? We're seeing some spikes in certain places. Um, are the majority of your students still working remotely? Where are you right now? Yes, we are still fully remote. Um, we were looking at our numbers and, and that spike, as you said, uh, with COVID, uh, but our plan is to bring our SPED students kindergarten through third. Um, and we're applying our hybrid model that we created. Um, but because the numbers are there, it, it, we have an opportunity to also bring in our ELs K3. Um, we're just, again, we're looking at uh, all the information, um, but that spike is really throwing a wrench into our plan. But uh, for the most part, we are all still remote. Yeah, I feel like that's that's happening in a lot of places. I mean, it's hard to hard to contemplate going back when you're seeing kind of the news that's, that's going on. And I don't know about you, but here where I am, even in New Hampshire, where it's been relatively quiet, Elevation's offices in Boston, but I'm remote in New Hampshire. Um, it just seems like we're starting to sort of know people who were affected. I mean, even my son was exposed to someone. So he's been out of school. He's been in person for a while in third grade, but now he's out of school. Is that the case with you all as well? Does it just seem like not only the statistics, but just noticing it? Yes, yes. And, and, you know, a thing to remember is that uh, we, we have our teachers that are that are uh, teaching, but they also have their personal lives. So, you know, it impacts everybody. Um, so, yeah, we as much as we want to come in, we all, we have to take all factors into account. Um, and, uh, you know, now, like, you know, like you, um, our, the weather is changing here so that um, it's, it's, you know, the time is the time is going to go back and it's getting darker. I think that all adds to the dulling of that uh, start of the year. Yeah, it's part of the formula for sure. I can remember teaching this time of year being one of the hardest times. Uh, just you're in it, you know, and you're it, it's it's a very productive time, but it can also be a very stressful time. And honestly, I mean, I speak with you all all the time and lots of teachers, but I can't imagine, you know, what it's like to be in this remotely and have the doubt and not knowing sort of what's going to happen um, as we move forward. All right. So let's go go back to our conversation in September. You were talking about map testing at that time uh, and you were eagerly awaiting those results. I remember chatting with you about that. You were using other sort of data points to figure out where your students are. At this point, a month or so later, have you been able to look at that that data to help you differentiate instruction for ELs? And if so, how have you gone about doing it? And what else have you used to, to make that happen? Absolutely. Our data person is uh, still crunching the numbers, but preliminary uh, data is looking great. Um, here in our district, you know, I'm, I'm looking at our students who are in the dual language program. Um, and on the map assessment, they're testing in both languages. 
Our Spanish for, for those students is really strong in the dual language program. Our English, it, based on our language allocation, they are where they need to be. Uh, obviously, we want them to uh, be able to navigate both languages. Um, I have a particular interest in our students who are in third through eighth who are um, in the gen ed setting. Um, there, there is just, again, looking preliminary at uh, numbers, it, it looks like there is um, a higher need for some of our students in that area. I am surprised of, uh, of how many students are at benchmark or higher. Good. Um, but having that information now helps me articulate to uh, my ESL resource teachers to increase their collaboration, be more intentional, more strategic when it comes to the language. And, I, and obviously language in the, the content area. Right. And we've talked about that, that collaboration. And I am going to get to that later because it's something that you've stressed and you're actually really impressed by the collaboration that was going on. So I want to, I want to put that on the back burner. That is on my agenda of things to, to chat about now. But one, one thing that I wanted to ask you about in this whole series, everything we're trying to do here is about um, making sure how, how people like you are making sure that English learners have access to equitable instruction and services. And a part of that process for you um, was, you know, you've done, I know you've done a lot of PD, some trainings with Dr. Jose Medina, who was recently on our podcast talking about um, how lesson planning can actually uh, be a great way to make sure that students are getting equitable access to not only instruction, which may seem obvious, but actually later down the line, it actually has an impact on social justice. It has an impact on dismantling systems of oppression, um, et cetera. And that was a really interesting conversation. So I just, I just want to kind of connect some dots here because we spoke with him and, and we've spoken with you for, for throughout the school year. How, how, I'm curious to hear how those trainings, um, have supported your efforts in providing uh, equitable learning opportunities to your English learners. And I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of trying to promote Dr. Medina's, you know, PD, but at the same time, I feel like it's pretty, it's pretty interesting and it fits really nicely into what we're talking about. I think working with Dr. Medina, we, we can see how, um, how strong of an advocate he is for language, language acquisition and embraces it all. And uh, that's one of, one of the things that our teachers always say is like, wow, he, he really speaks to the language. He's really speaking to me directly on how to best support my students. And the, we, we are working with them with our dual language teachers. Um, so a, a lot of it is uh, a student might say uh, a word a certain way and it's, he's telling us it's not our place to correct it, but to embrace it. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Naturally, you, you, you know, you speak to it. Um, so our teachers are like, wow, you know, we were really focused on English time, Spanish time, and he's saying, well, if the student has the language repertoire, bring it in. If they use a certain, um, uh, they have a certain dialect at home, bring it in because it only empowers the student and makes them have a, a love for their language, their culture. And we're not saying, hey, don't say it that way. We're saying, oh, that is another way to say it. Um, and I think that was eye-opening for our teachers. Um, you know, in, in teaching, you want to stick to the plan, but really language is, is beautiful in any, in any type of language. We just have to acknowledge it, bring it in and uh, teach our students when, it, when it's the appropriate time, the appropriate register, the audience, where you can use that type of language. Yeah, that's a great explanation from the sort of receiver of the professional development point of view. We got it directly from, from Dr. Medina. I, I would just want to sort of expand on a couple of things you said um, you know, I, I was a I was a high school Spanish teacher for a long time, and I learned Spanish, and I was not a heritage speaker. I learned in college and traveled to Spain and Central America, 
and, you know, came to a district, uh, Lynn, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston, that I imagine is probably similar to your district. Um, and, and, you know, what, with what we've talked about. And so I was this guy coming in who had learned sort of very formal Spanish, uh, in Spain. And, you know, I, 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 I had a lot of students from the Dominican Republic and from Puerto Rico, and I could barely understand what they were saying because their dialects were so different. Um, and it didn't take me long to, to lose that idea of formality and to realize that these students had something to offer. And I actually ended up sort of through that time because I was young and I was still learning Spanish while I was teaching. Um, I ended up incorporating a lot of that into my own sort of repertoire, just naturally, just thinking about it. But there was that tension of like, how do we, you know, is this a formal, we have to formalize this whole thing. How do we bring that in? And I almost heard sort of a little bit of relief in your voice when you said, you know, it, it, for teachers to realize it's okay to bring this in. Um, are, do your teachers feel that as well as sort of relieved or is it more like, how am I going to, how am I going to make this adjustment? There, there was relief. Certainly there was relief. And, and I think, you know, we have to remember that a, a lot of our teachers and, and not just here in Illinois, across the, the states, um, they are second language learners who um, developed their English and English was what they took to high school, what they took to college. So we are Spanish speakers, but trained in English. Mm -hmm. um, so when they hear that it's OK to bring that in. Uh, they're like, wow, but you know, the book says, I'm like, yeah, the book says it, it's supposed to be this way. And that, again, that register and that environment, but it's, it, Dr. Medina is saying that a student brings language, whether they're from a small town in Mexico or, you know, a big city somewhere else, it's still language and, and it's, they're, they're making their points across and we have to acknowledge that. Um, but there was definitely relief on yeah. Okay, that's that you can say, okay, well, I say it too. Or I say this word. And just in like a five minute, we got we got off topic with Dr. Medina because oh, I say it this way, or maybe you heard it that way. And it all means the same thing. Yeah. And it's just like I hear you say it's just the context, right? A student needs to know in what context they sort of use a certain type of language. And I think that's where it becomes and and it 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 goes right into this equity conversation because you can't say this way that you've been speaking for your entire life does not work at all. I think you can say in this context, you know, you have to shift to be able to get your point across to a certain audience, but, mm -hmm. but incorporating and embracing that language, I think is a huge part uh, of the equity piece. Not sure how it, it fits into our evolving educational landscape with remote and, and, and everything else. And I'd love to get into that, but I, I know that'll take us hours. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another time. Um, but I'm glad we talked about that because it's nice to kind of connect the dots, as I said, uh, family engagement. So you, you and I have talked a lot about that along with assistant superintendent, Maribel Tabuada, who's, who couldn't join us today. Um, it's, it's been a huge priority for many districts. And I think particularly for you, you've had a lot of, a lot to sort of talk about that. Have you been able to, to continue meeting with parents or, or is that evolving like about how they're supporting learners at home since you're still doing remote learning? And I say this with an eight-year-old upstairs who is under the guidance of two former teachers who are <laughs> struggling with being able to handle this. We have all the technology we need. We have an incredible amount of privilege. Uh, we're both teachers and yet it's really difficult. So how are you handling that in situations that are probably far worse than what we're dealing with? 
Well, through my department, I do have a, uh, um, a, a committee. It's called the Bilingual Parent Advisory Committee. And we just met earlier this month. And uh, it, it was, you know, I, I had to show them the programming and uh, other things that are about, the pro about our department. But what came out from that was um, they want to, um, they still want to learn how to navigate our platforms that we use for our students. Um, so th they're, they're advocating for that. Uh, but one of the things that they also talked about was self-care, um, which in the past I've worked with uh, Dr. Fernay Ramirez, uh, who's come out to our district, and he really talks to the, he really connects with the parents um, in, in his mannerism, in his, his dialogue, and he uses a lot of music, uh, but it always uh, hits a nerve with our parents. And what his, his message is, schooling starts at home. And so um, that's what the parents were asking me. How can we can we bring this guy in? We you know we want to we want to talk about self care, mental health. Um, and Dr. Frenet uh, Ramirez does have virtual and in person, uh, so it's just a matter of connecting with them to schedule something. But our parents are asking for the help. That's great. I mean, you know, we talk about professional development so much for our teachers and. This is PD for parents, really. I mean, and it's, it's, I guess to some, it must seem like a strange concept, but now more than ever, that's just totally necessary. And if you're going to buy into family engagement, then why not do something like that? I, I, I noted the name down and we'll make sure we link um, in here to, to some of the work that he's done, because I really appreciate you, you know, thinking about who uh, has helped you and how others can, can yeah. use them. Um, great. Uh, so you know, we were talking about this both offline and at the beginning of, of our conversation that uh, I just have been communicating less with people. Like we have a community brief, an ELL community brief that goes out every week. And last week I didn't send it, even though there was some valuable information, just because I feel like teachers are just consents. Like my own experience tells me that, as I mentioned, they're just very, very busy. Mighty Bell's not with us for that very reason. She's an administrator, but she's just really busy. Um, as that, as that sort of glow or that like excitement of the beginning of the school year begins to fade as it does every year, as it naturally does. And I'll speak for myself just when I say that this time of year, as I mentioned earlier, is always the hardest for me. Um, and under all the circumstances now, I'm just curious as to, to how are your teachers doing? What's your sense as to sort of their, their own sort of uh, emotional state um, in terms of how they're supporting their students and, and what are you doing as an administration to help support them right now through this, what I think is a very difficult time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, our building leaders handle what they work with our staff. So they have their own little ways of connecting with, with staff, because you are right. It's, it's, uh, the season is changing. It's getting darker here in, in uh, the Chicagoland area. Um, we're finishing up our first, first quarter grade. So that kind of adds, you know, that, Teachers have a lot on their plate right now. Our data results are in and we're combing through those to kind of refine our instruction for the next quarter. So they do, they are busy. Um, and that glow, like you said, is, is starting to uh, wear off. Um, but here in our district, we, we work with uh, the student services department and uh, they're rolling out uh, support during teacher PLC time. Um, and they focus on wellness and mindfulness especially during this time with the pandemic and the, the spike that we're coming across, um, you know, they're advocating about taking care of oneself and, and, and ways on how teachers can do that at home or even in the classroom. Uh, but it, it is important. Our, our teachers are very important to us. And uh, I just love that our, our student services department has taken that on as, 
how we can best support our teachers and then the extra love that they get from their building um, administrator as well. Yeah, I, I just feel like now you have to take a deliberate approach to that to that topic. You can't. It's not something that's avoidable. I mean, it's just real. I mean, I the people that I talk to, people that I've taught with for years, are just. You know, I was talking to one person the other day, and, and she said, "I just feel like it's it's April right now, not October. That that just level of you know, you're tired." Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, you know, validating it, understanding it, um, you know that that it's going on, and then and then having support. Um, is crucial. I want to ask the same question for about your students, because um, I'll say that, you know, we have four kids that are doing many, many different things in terms of how they're schooling. There's one of our kids who's in school full time and a couple others, one's hybrid and one's remote. And I, I think right now I'm noticing just my own children that they're, who again, are in very, very comparatively, very good situations. Um, the stress is catching up with them in very different ways now. And how are you going about addressing that? Uh, well, you know, um, part of our um, remote uh, schedule is that we have uh, built-in office hours for our teachers to communicate with parents and especially our students. Uh, you know, they follow up, but I think right there is where we're, where teachers are doing a lot of connecting with the students on a more personal uh, level. Um, we want our students to be successful. Uh, I've been a part of a couple of home visits too, where a principal has called me and says, hey, you know, I want to check in. Uh, can you come out? And, you know, I'm more than happy to do those home visits because I know how much that that principal cares that it's her priority to ensure the safety and well-being of her students. Um, so I really love that about that principal that, you know, she'll tell me every day, like, oh, I have so many emails. I'm checking with the families, but the extra layer of actually going out into the community and saying, hey, are you okay? We just want to touch base. Let us know what you need. Um, we have given our families who have had spotty internet connections. We, we do have uh, hotspots for them now. Um, it's just that constant checking in, talking. Um, and I really love that our principals are, all of them are really looking into how to best support the, the students. At our middle school, I, I do want to say that um, they continue to uh, advocate and support PBIS. So they have their own uh, little ways of connecting with students and rewarding them for the positive behaviors that they're seeing. Even though we're remote, they really want to acknowledge that, especially for our middle school students who, who need that, uh, that extra layer of uh, support. I think I know what it is, but tell me that acronym PBIS, what's that stand for? The Positive Behavior Intervention System. That's what I figured. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's just getting ahead, making sure that you're sort of putting, depositing money in the bank before you go and take it out, mm-hmm. right? Like making sure that students are aware of the amazing things that they're doing right now. And everybody, it, it, there's never been a time where you, <laughs> I don't think where you can give more sort of compliments for just what students are doing sort of on a regular basis. I mean, they have mm-hmm. to, they have to, they're in difficult situations. I like what you said about home visits too, and getting out in the community, because that, that must be even more powerful now because people are so isolated. You know, and so if you're doing that in a safe way and when you need to, um, that must be really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, I really, I really love that, that this principal does it. Yeah. Yeah. A shout good. out to uh, uh, Principal Perez from Washington. All right. Well, thank you for what you're doing, <laughs> Principal Perez. It's, a, it's a, an inspiration to others, I'm sure. Um, 
learning loss. We talked a lot about it, you and I and, and, and Muddy Bell as well. I think we focused on it in our last conversation, but we were really talking about like last spring. Um, and now that you had mentioned earlier, like the quarters closing, there's grading, there's that, there's that kind of added stress. And that, that's a time where, you know, we are beginning to evaluate where students have come between September or, you know, late August and now, which seems crazy that that much time has passed. And it's, it's that time to actually grade and assess. Um, are we at the point yet where you've been able to kind of measure the progress in language and content development during this school year? Because there's been so much focus on the learning loss in the spring that I feel like it's not something that's discussed so much. And I guess if so, what, what trends have you noticed? And if not, you know, why not? And, and how are you going to assess moving forward? Well, you know, like I said before, our Spanish data is, is uh, showing uh, great results. Um, I actually got the opportunity to jump in on some of these um, uh, into the, some of these classrooms where even at the kindergarten level, right now in October, the students are beginning to read. And it just goes to show how much the teacher is investing in the classroom. So to me, it, I'm not I, I'm, I'm surprised at, at how um, the numbers are showing but not surprised by the commitment that our teachers have invested into our students. Um, what, what I have seen and, and with the support of, uh, we, I just rolled out the uh, elevation progress monitoring. Uh, it's the first time we're doing it in the district. So I, I think um, there we, we are looking at how we can better support our classroom teacher with that support from the ESL teacher. Cause now we're, we're really looking at um, the language domains and we can more strategically put in strategies to support. Um, so learning, as far as learning loss, it, for our Spanish dual students, I, I don't see much. Um, for our English, again, that's, that's um, my area where I'm focusing on. It's part of my dissertation work is how we can best support our students three through eight. Um, so um, it, again, it's looking at that data and then looking at uh, how our students are grouped um, when ESL teachers are coming in to support, um, and, and uh, you know, I have to remind, remind myself, this is one data point. Um, so we're, we're going to look at it. We're going to see how we can improve, but I, we won't know again until we take the next assessment. So right. it's like, I want to do so much, but you yeah. know, I can't, you know, I can't pull the trigger yet because we only have that one data point. Yeah. you get so excited when you get data in? I'm sure because it was so <laughs> sparse back in the spring. Um, that you want to do something about it, but I think a, uh, sort of a deliberate, cautious approach is is uh, is is needed right now. Um, you mentioned the support from um, ELL teachers to content teachers. That's something we had talked about before. You're really impressed by the collaboration that was going on, and I was too. I mean, just in our discussions, just, that's something that you know people have been wanting to happen for a long time. And mm -hmm. in many cases, in many districts, it, the people that I've talked to, at least, it does seem that that it has been an affordance of this remote learning situation, that there has been more collaboration, par probably partly because it just has to happen because nobody knew what they were doing with remote learning when we started, and, and possibly that there was just more, more flexible time for people to meet in different ways. So that's, that's, been, that's been very good. Um, you, you mentioned those, uh, those monitoring forms, which I've actually heard a lot of people using those monitoring forms you know, you can do it in any way, but you're talking about using it from elevation. So it's electronic mm -hmm. to be able to kind of uh, not only do it for compliance, but to actually see where students are at a given moment in time, get information from those content teachers quickly to the, to the, to the EL team so that they can collaborate. Um, 
it sounds like that collaboration has continued, even though both groups have become, as we've talked about over the course of this conversation, increasingly busy. How have you maintained that? Is that something that's happened happening naturally? Are you sort of overseeing that? Um, because it seems like it's 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 occurring. It's it's natural, and I mentioned in our in one of the earlier interviews that um, because the teachers are being included in the PLC time, they've been able to collaborate. Um, th that way, and it's been growing. Uh, again, I, I have access to go into classrooms. So um, I, I saw my middle school teachers either co-teaching or um, being an active participant, encouraging students, um, advocating for them to uh, ask questions. Uh, so either it's a two-teacher model or if they're pulling a small group, you can see that they're, they're on a mission to make sure that the students are understanding the content, but also advocating for what they need. And uh, that, that, that's coming from their uh, collaboration. Yeah, my sense is that your district does a really good job with this, a particularly good job. And you can hear that just in all the conversations that you have. And when it becomes automatic, and you've designed things over the years, and Marty Bell talked about this, that have allowed this sort of organic thing. To, I mean, you need to kind of rev it up somehow, right? You need to like prime the engine. But you've done that, and it seems like it's happening naturally. Um, it, it would be interesting for you, just something food for thought at some point, for you to present that to, you know, maybe these virtual conferences to think about how your district has gone about doing that. Because I think a lot of people still haven't cracked the code with that, and it must be harder to do now in a remote environment. So, food for thought, no pressure. Thank but you. I think that I think that would be interesting to hear. I think others would be. We've just kind of scratched the surface of it. Um, so there's been a lot of success uh, with what with what you've done. You all have talked a, a lot about the the power of resiliency, the power of flexibility. Um, you're all clearly very passionate over, over there about supporting your teachers and your students. But what new challenges are you facing now? Um, and how do you anticipate overcoming them moving forward? You know, I, I think one, one of the biggest challenges coming from my department um, is uh, prepping for the access test. Um, our state superintendent has given us direction to uh, do this as an in-person uh, assessment. Um, I'm looking at the logistics. I think we are able to do it. Um, but to me, that just because you have the logistics doesn't mean that it's the best practice. Uh, so we, a, a team of us are going to be meeting uh, with the superintendent to discuss options because I have the ability to, to do it, but a, a neighboring a school district might not. So we want to see what options there are and um, really look at how because it's planning i'm planning now for the test in in january it'll be here before you know it yeah and you know i'm gonna have to if we need more people they need to be trained uh we need to set up schedules we need to set up procedures um if we're doing the 50 students uh in the building uh how many teachers or how many teachers will i need how many students in the classroom is it in one sitting is it two um Will students have transportation? There's so many factors that just because we can't do it doesn't mean it will work out. Um, so I'm very glad that uh, that the state soup said that uh, she'll meet with us to to further discuss and and maybe provide some more guidance for us. Yeah, you know, and you said one thing that I'd like you to elaborate on, and I think you did a little bit. Um, logistics versus base best practice. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Like, what's the what's the tension or the or the difficulty there? Yeah, well, I mean, just because we we have the space and and we have the resources to do something, is it in the best interest? 
number one for our students and our families, uh, we want to make sure that they're protected. We want to make sure our safety for our teachers, for, for our families, that's, that's priority. Um, but in, in, in saying that, there's, there's a lot of people are still nervous at, and, and they have every right to be. So it, is it best practice to bring in 50 students um, of course, we take the temperature. We'll do, uh, you know, we'll do everything that that it takes to make sure that it's done right. But at the same time, is it right? You know, do we do we um, are, are we assessing students, uh, uh, let's say, access on English proficiency when, even though our teachers have been really at it, have they had enough instruction to really take that measure? That's the best practice. What are we measuring here? Is it just to give the assessment or really to get that, that data that's gonna help us improve our instruction? Yeah, thanks for your transparency there. I just can't imagine how difficult it must be to plan for that. One thing you didn't even mention, I don't think was just the evolving nature of this whole thing in the ground. Who knows where we're going to be in January? So yeah. like you're planning this now and what happens if you plan the, and I'm not to stress you out, I'm sure you're already thinking about this, but like what happens if you plan the whole thing and then, you just can't do it. I mean, it's just, yeah, this is a great example of the challenges that, that all districts are facing right now. And, and, you know, in some ways sort of the, the pressure, uh, from the state level, which, which they have, you know, I get why they're doing what they're doing, but, um, and then you got, then you got an election coming up next week. I mean, it's just, it's just like a perfect storm. It's really, it's really wild. Mm -hmm. Um, so I give you a lot of credit for thinking about those things and trying to set them up the best you can. Um, so uh, what is coming up over the next few weeks? We're going to be chatting on a panel uh, at the Elevation Impact Conference. I'll talk more about that at the end. But what do you have planned for the next couple of weeks here? What's, what's on the sort of top of the, uh, of the agenda? Well, we, are, we, are, we, are, we have been talking, Maribel and I, uh, with the high school because our eighth grade students are due up for the PSAT. Uh, we will be conducting the testing here in our district. Uh, so it's just a, a matter of uh, working with um, the high school that will be providing um, proctors. We have our own proctors. Again, we have to uh, find a system that works. So this, for me, this is great practice for, for the access yeah, yeah. Uh, setup. So, you, uh, you know, I've already done in-person screening for our kinder students. Um, and we started pre-K uh, testing as well. But now at taking it to the middle school, how does that look? What's the process? Who's involved? What is the space? Um, the safety measures, um, uh, the parent waiting room, all these things are really gonna help me look at how to prepare for access. But our eighth graders are due to take this test. Um, we are also launching staff academies, which uh, the, major the majority of them are going to be virtual, um, but uh, you know, giving our teachers some professional development um, with, with the things that they, that they want. So, you know, I, I'll be speaking on elevation and uh, dual language. And so we've given the teachers an opportunity to go ahead and sign up for what they're interested in. Um, and then just uh, waiting for access to get ready to execute in January. Sounds like it's just an incredible amount of logistics, yes. you know, <laughs> and, and weighing, as you said, logistics versus best practice. That that's actually that's like, man. So many people must be thinking about that right now. I, it, it, I'm glad I'm glad we brought it up. Um, 
Well, we'll 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 leave it there. Um, so thanks again for joining us, Juan. Uh, and again, Marivel couldn't join us this time, but uh, but she was with us for the first three episodes, and I'm sure she's behind the scenes doing an incredible amount of work. Um, want to remind uh, everybody that we are our next sort of uh, version or iteration of in this together will be in the form of a panel. So Juan, you'll be joining us along with Vicky Saldala from Broward County in Florida. Uh, Dr. Adrian Johnson from um, Hearn ISD in, in Texas, Lynn Mara Colon from Prince William County, and Rowena Mack from uh, Saddleback in California. So we have people from all over the country joining us on a panel that's part of our um, EL Impact uh, Conference, virtual conference, of course. That's on November 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If people are interested in joining, I'll put a link in the top right-hand corner for that. But really looking forward to that one. That's going to be great to get everybody in one place, for sure. Yes, for sure. Well, until then, Juan, thanks. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, I love the jacket, by the way. That that's nice. Oh, how do I get, how do I get one of those? You know that we got this for um, for Boss's Day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll get well, you one. <laughs> very great. It shows the pride of the district, and I'm proud of y'all as well. Thank you so much for joining us again and uh, and sharing with us, Juan. We'll talk to you soon. All right.